proof of your salvation is not that one time you prayed a prayer, but proof of your faith is that you continue walking with Him. That's a reality. You want to know the best test of your faith is time. Listen, if they've walked away from the faith, I'm here to tell you they never had salvation take root. They may have tasted. They may have cuddled up beside the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But salvation never penetrated the heart. It may have penetrated the head, but not the heart. We would like to welcome you to Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Pastor Stewart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina, and he has been teaching through a series on the book of John. We hope that you will join us as we begin Getting in the Word. Here is Pastor Stewart. Well, I've entitled our message this morning, The Centerpiece of Salvation. And so let's go ahead this morning and Get it right out on the table what that centerpiece is, and that is belief. Why do I say that the centerpiece of salvation is belief? Well, because I believe the scriptures say that belief is the centerpiece of salvation, centerpiece of a a heart that has been truly changed and brings about genuine faith. Belief. Now, this doesn't settle the case just because I say that the centerpiece of salvation is belief. Um, because the reality is, is everyone in here and everyone out there believes in something. Isn't that a fair statement? Everyone has a belief in something. Even if they don't believe in what you believe in, they believe something. Even if it's they believe you're wrong. The reality is, is they believe something. And so if we're going to narrow this thing down, then we must know what it is that we must believe in order to obtain this true, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Belief is the center part, the centerpiece of salvation, only if one believes rightly. Now, the Greek word here for believe is pistuo. It's used some hundred times just in the book of John alone. The majority of the times that it is used, it refers in this gospel to believing in Jesus Christ. Believing in Christ in a way that leads unto salvation. Again, we can believe in Jesus Christ. That doesn't make us saved. The demons believed and trembled. Didn't make them believers. But here, Pestua is used in a way that brings about a salvific change in someone's life. And so when I say the centerpiece of salvation is belief, what I'm saying is that Scripture points to the fact that it's belief in Jesus Christ that leads to salvation. It's a belief in Jesus Christ that leads to salvation in a salvific manner. And it's a disbelief in Christ that leads into separation from a Christ eternally. 
So yes, centerpiece of salvation is belief. It's a belief in Jesus Christ as Lord. But so, again, I like to back up those claims with the Word of God. Um, Because again, I could tell you that belief in Jesus Christ is that which is the centerpiece. And again, be completely wrong, lest that which is the most and the only reliable authoritative source of absolute truth from beginning to end is the Word of God. And so John has shown us faithfully throughout his Word that he believes this to be true, that salvation is, the centerpiece of salvation is belief. A matter of fact, if you remember when we started the sermon series, John in John chapter 20 verse 31 he says and states that the, the main idea of the book, the thesis statement of the book, is John twenty thirty one, when it says, These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life and have life in his name. Listen, the centerpiece of salvation is belief. It must be a right belief. A belief that leads one into salvation. It's not by some effort that you'll obtain salvation. It's not by some work or procedure or not by some sacrament or some by method by which man-made methodologies are created. Not by ceremony, not by anything, but rather by faith in Jesus Christ that He is Lord. Because the centerpiece of salvation is belief. All of these things John writes, and he writes so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ. And listen, in, by believing in Christ that people become children of God. And that's why John says in chapter 1 of John, verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who, what? Believe in his name. The centerpiece of salvation is belief. Doesn't matter what the world thinks about Jesus. Doesn't matter who they think Jesus is or what Jesus did. The fact remains belief is the centerpiece of salvation. John 3, 5 reminds us, as Moses was lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, so even the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Belief, centerpiece. And then in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. I think what John is saying over and over and over is that the centerpiece of salvation is belief. He says in John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. It doesn't say he who lives the perfect life. It doesn't say he who does good deeds. It doesn't say the one that goes to church. It doesn't say the one that reads his Bible. It doesn't say the one that gives to the poor and does A through Z. But rather, it says he who believes. It says in John 6.40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. So what's the centerpiece of salvation? Belief. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. Over and over and over. Over a hundred times. It's perfectly clear that unless one believes in Jesus Christ as Lord of his life, her life, their life, there is no salvation. Therefore, the centerpiece of salvation is belief. If the centerpiece of salvation is belief, then the centerpiece of condemnation is unbelief. Unbelief is a hindering sin that keeps people from the kingdom of God. This is a reality. I just ate dinner yesterday evening with two gentlemen. Um, 45-minute dinner turned into a four-hour episode in which we were able to talk about the things of God. I was able to share the gospel. And the reality is, as you may come this morning understanding belief in Christ, but the world believes all kind of crazy things. But I'm here to tell you this morning, the centerpiece of salvation is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, Pastor, all that stuff's good, but how does this point up to our passage today? Well, there are going to be three things that I want you to gather in our text today, but all of them center around this one fact, that the center piece of salvation is belief. And all three of these will help us in understanding that reality. And so if you will, let's begin by seeing number one, genuine faith isn't spiritual curiosity. Secondly, genuine faith isn't an emotional experience. And thirdly, genuine faith isn't a single decision. And so, if you will, let's begin this morning by looking at number one. Genuine faith isn't spiritual curiosity. We've just left what I like to call the Samaritan revival. Because that's what's happened. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, you may not understand that. But last week, we looked in the life of Jesus' impact in Samaria. When he left Judea, traveled directly through Sychar, which was out of the cultural norm. Jews didn't go through there because they were half-breeds and they wanted nothing to do with them. But Jesus, knowing that everybody needs Jesus, decided, no, I need to go because there is a woman at the well in which I need to proclaim to her who I am. And when, she, when he does, a revival breaks loose. And so when he tells her who he is and proclaims her uh, who he is, she goes into her hometown and becomes an evangelist, so to speak, and proclaiming the things of Christ. And people begin to come in droves. And while there, Jesus is teaching the disciples while she's out sharing about Christ, He says, look, the fields are ready for harvest. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. God is working through this woman and souls are coming to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. 
And so Jesus stays there a few days, the text reminds us, and then we come to verse 43 when the text says, after two days he went forth from there into Galilee. After the two days in which he stayed there in Samaria and teach these people about the kingdom of God, because we know that was Christ's purpose is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so that's what he was doing for two days, and many people began to believe. And so... He left there and came to Galilee. And if you want to see the map here, Galilee's up top. He was there in Sychar in Samaria. He had left Judea, traveled right up into Sychar. And then the text tells us after two days, he traveled up into Galilee. And so before the text allows us to reach this destination, we are told something seemingly out of proportion. Now, we could have went straight from verse 43 to 45. Now, if you just read through the text, you'll miss it. But I spent a lot of time here. That isn't how John wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he could have read, after two days he went forth from Galilee, skipped 44 and go to 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. That's not how he wrote it. But there is a pieced sandwich, seemingly out of place. Makes no sense, really, if you look at it at face value. The sandwich is verse 44, between 43 and 45. And it reads, after two days he went forth from Galilee, there into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Where did that come from? When you read over and over, you just ask the question, why is this inserted? Well, listen, after much study, I realized there were pages and pages and pages of different opinions of what this could possibly mean. For example, D.A. Carson has ten views on this one verse of what it could potentially mean. Now, for some t- sake of time, I'm going to roll out one that I believe is fitting for the context, for the purpose for which John supplies verse 44. And he says in verse 44, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Remember, the centerpiece of salvation is belief. What you believe to be true about Christ is pivotal here. The key word, I believe, is for. It seems to make this thing causal. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own town. After a successful revival in Samaria, Jesus goes on his way to his home country. Where is his home country? Galilee. He was born where? Nazareth. Remember in John it said, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one who Moses wrote about in the law, the one the prophets foretold, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael says, come on and see. The home country of Jesus is Galilee. Again, the bigger picture of Galilee, it's like South Carolina. You have Columbia, South Carolina, and you have Yemassee, South Carolina. Well, these were little communities. Nazareth was in the bigger Galilean area. 
And John is pointing out the fact that a prophet has no honor in his own community. Jesus, listen, has no honor in Galilee. He's leaving a vibrant revival and going into a place that has no honor. Now, the question is, if he has no honor, then why in verse 45 does it tell us that he's accepted, that he's welcomed? If he has no honor. So there's got to be a bigger picture here. Again, belief is key. John does not indicate whom Jesus said these words. The text gives us no clue. The statement of Jesus, I believe, may be introduced here to explain why the people of Samaria had received him more warmly than the Jews did. I mean, we've already seen the fact that in John 1, it says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. And that's where I stand The reason that this is written, I believe, is because they had a false belief in Christ, the Jewish people. They did not welcome him the way he should have been welcomed. They should have welcomed him as Messiah, as Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. But that wasn't how they welcomed him. He says here, unless you people, right, later in the text we'll see, unless you people see signs and wonder, you simply will not believe. You see, he was accepted into Galilee, but he wasn't honored as Messiah in Galilee. How do we know? Well, the text tells us. So when he came to Galilee, verse 45, and the Galileans received him. having Why did they receive him? having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they had themselves also went to the feast. There's an underlying contrast between the believing Samaritans and the unbelieving Jews. You see, the Samaritans believe they honored Christ as Messiah, but not the Jews. They accepted him based upon his ability to do something, but not based upon the fact that Jesus is Lord. He is Messiah. And so the centerpiece of salvation is belief that Jesus Christ is Messiah, the Son of the living God. John 4, 42 says, It's no longer because of what you said that we believed, if you remember the Samaritans, that we've heard for ourselves, and know now that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. They were committed to Christ. They had true, genuine faith, which resulted in a proper belief in Jesus Christ. The Jewish people dabbled in the works of Christ. They welcomed Christ, but not on His standard as Messiah, but rather they welcomed him as a miracle worker. Genuine faith, listen, is not about spiritual curiosity. John 4, 45, when he came to Galilee, we are told the Galileans received him. Why? Because of their spiritual curiosity. They were more concerned about what work could be done, the magic that Christ could do, than rather the one who was doing the work to Messiah. 
They welcomed Jesus because they were curious about what he could do. Most likely for them. Can I stop here for a moment and just ask a simple question this morning? What is the centerpiece of salvation? Belief. It's belief. And what you believe about Christ this morning makes a big difference. Do you have genuine faith based on belief in Christ this morning? Or do you have some kind of spiritual curiosity? Because the reality is, is it's the way of the world. I sit down with these two men. Both claim to be Christians. To me, it's no surprise that here I'm sitting at a table with two men who believe that Jesus saved them, but all they really had was a spiritual curiosity about Christ. Because as I talked to them, I noticed real quick that their salvation was based upon what they could do, but not that what Christ could do. Oh, they had Scripture memorized. They had a curiosity about Christ, but they had never truly been converted by the Savior of the world. Just like these people, they welcomed out of curiosity. The world is filled with people whom have spiritual curiosity. Listen, they may come to church. They may may buy a Christian book. They may listen to the Christian radio. They may watch some spiritual videos on YouTube. They may use words like spirituality, higher calling, open-mindedness, religion. But it isn't saving faith. It takes a personal relationship with Jesus Christ built upon a proper belief in Jesus Christ. You must commit to Christ in true genuine belief to be like the Samaritans, not be like the Jews who are simply curious. We must be committed. It's like bacon and eggs, right? Look, the chicken contributed, but the pig committed. Right? Some of that will sink in a little later. Listen, these Jews had not committed. Jesus makes his way by Nazareth and he comes into Canaan of Galilee where the text says, therefore he came into Canaan of Galilee where he had made the water wine. Now, he's back where he began his first miracle there, where he turned the water to wine. And you can bet news has traveled, hasn't it, from Jerusalem, where he had done some of those things like cleansing the temple and maybe even a testimony from the recent revival in Samaria. Whatever the case, story breaks, and we learn of a man that has a sick son in another Galilean community. Listen, this is where the story gets Very real. The text reads, There was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. This man is probably an official 
attached to the servant of a king. Regardless, we're told that he has a son that is sick to the point of death. Just stop for a moment and think about that. Because until we can resonate with this man, until we can put ourselves in his shoes, we can't go on in through the text. This man has a son who's on the verge of death. The guy is in utter desperation. Capernaum's 20 to 25 miles downhill from Canaan of Galilee. So for him to come up would be uphill. It's quite hilly there. It's not an easy travel for this man, but he hears of Jesus. He hears of all of the things that he's done up to this point, because you bet the word has traveled. He hears that he can do signs and wonders and miracles, and at the end of the day, he believes that Jesus is the solution to his problem. His problem is his son's about to die. And if he doesn't get help, he will die. And he is an emotional wreck. But he hears there's a spiritual curiosity about this man, Jesus. Just maybe. If I can get there, Jesus can heal my son. There's spiritual curiosity. But listen, genuine faith isn't spiritual curiosity like these Jews from Galilee had. But I want you to notice, secondly, genuine faith isn't about an emotional experience either. This man is on the Sea of Galilee, needing healing for his son. Again, he catches wind of someone that can help, possibly. And the text says, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee... He went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was to the point of death. It's a very sad story. Again, put yourself in this man's shoes. Here he is, a son, which is a big deal in those days, and he's about to die. He's to the point of death, the text says. And all the father can think about, and if you're gonna if you're gonna be honest with yourself, you would be the you would be the same way. You would be all you would be concerned with is seeing your your son not die. That life would be breathed back into him. And so that's what is on his mind. He, he wanted to help his son. Listen, death is a horrible thing, but the death of a child I couldn't imagine. A parent doesn't ever expect to see their children. Go before them. While it happens, it's always, and I believe will always be the most tragic death. So the dad is on a rescue mission. He isn't concerned with salvation. He's not even, I believe, concerned with who Jesus is. He's got a spiritual curiosity about him. All he's concerned with is making sure his son doesn't die. And so the Roman official implores Jesus to come down to Capernaum to heal his son. He begs him. I want you to pause for a moment. 
And I want to make a scriptural observation from another portion of scripture that kind of points to a story that's similar. It's a different story, but both have commonality. And the fact is that both stories implore Jesus to come and to help, to heal. So in Luke 7, we find the story where Jesus heals the centurion's servant. In Luke 7, 1 and 9, it reads, when he had when he had completed all his discourse in the, hearing, in, in, in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. Again, we got a, another guy who's about to die. He's, he's going to implore Jesus to heal. And he heard about Jesus, spiritual curiosity again. He sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and to save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him. For he loves our nation, and he was, it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason I did not consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man placed under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. At him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they had found the slave in good health. Listen, one man comes to Jesus, the Father. The other man sends people to Jesus, the centurion. One man pleads for Christ to come and heal this father. The other man pleads for Christ to just say he is healed and it will be done. One man shows faith in the words of Christ. The other, we are told, is the most faithful in all of Israel. One man seems to know Christ pretty well. The other doesn't. But regardless, the end result is the same. By grace, both men are healed. But what I really want you to see and understand is this. Miracles do not save people. Yes, the son will be healed. Yes, the centurion slave was healed. But miracles do not save people spiritually. They only reveal the reality of who Christ is. What you believe about Christ is very important because the centerpiece of salvation is belief in Christ that Jesus is Lord. Listen, the Father seeks healing for his child. I don't believe he's got in his mind at all eternal salvation. For he is only thinking about this child. 
Jesus sees this, he understands this, and that's why he says, so Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Listen, I say to you this morning, signs and wonders are great, and they serve a great purpose, but they are not the source of salvation. Healings and water to wine and telling the woman of her future are all emotional events, and, but they are not the source of true, genuine faith in Jesus Christ. They don't bring about necessarily a proper belief in Christ. These people had experienced these signs and wonders, and, but yet all they had was a curiosity of faith. Oh, we believe he can do signs and wonders, and so we're curious about it. But even those did not bring about salvation. Neither do the emotional experiences of life. Jesus is concerned with spiritual salvation. It's not so much a rebuke to this man alone, but to all the people of Galilee. Because this man is in a very delicate situation. Jesus understands that, but he uses it as a teaching opportunity. And we say that it wasn't just this man because it's in the plural form. It says, unless you people believe. Listen, it's human nature to want evidence, isn't it? I mean, remember Thomas in John 20, 24 to 25, but Thomas, one of the twelves called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But what did he say? He said to them, unless I see in his hands the imprints of the nails, and I put my finger into the place of the nails, and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see... This man must see in order to believe, but genuine faith is never an emotional experience. Genuine faith isn't that one day that you had a a point in which you cried and Jesus saved you. Or one day an angel visited you and you were saved. I heard the Lord speak to me, therefore I know I'm saved. Or last night in my dinner, a man was basing the salvation of his grandmother because she sat up in the bed, put up her hands, and laid back down. Therefore, she had to be saved, right? Listen, salvation isn't because of some emotional experience. but Rather, what you believe to be about Jesus Christ, the person in the work. John reminds us, 2031, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In that believing, you may have life in His name. Right? It's about an informed belief who Jesus is. John 1.1 says Jesus was the Word. John 1.29, we are told that Jesus is the Lamb of God. John 1.34 tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. John 1.41 tells us that Jesus is Messiah. In John 1.49, we're told that Jesus is the King of Israel. And in verse 51 of chapter 1, Jesus is the Son of Man. And in our text today, we'll learn that Jesus, in, in chapter 4, verse 42, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. True, genuine, life-delivering, eternal salvation is not based off of some emotional experience. But rather it's rooted in belief about the true Christ 
the truth of Jesus Christ. And so the rebuke is about belief. They wanted signs. But Matthew reminds us about this desire. In Matthew 6, 4, when he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs. God need not give you one more sign. He not need do one more miracle because he's given us the infallible word of God from beginning to end, absolute truth. He's given you, it says in here, everything pertaining to life and to godliness. He not need come. He not need one say one more thing because his word is absolute truth. And from beginning to end, it is absolute truth and gives you the words of life. And let me tell you another thing. The canon of Scripture is close. There is no new revelation. There is no new revelation. That's how the Book of Mormons, that's how all of these other false religions, these cults come about, because God doesn't speak that way. If it does contradict His Word, you can better bet it's false. If you hear something from God, you better compare it to Scripture. I can't sit here and tell you God can't speak to you. He's God. If He can breathe life into a body, He can speak. But I promise you it's not the norm. It might be indigestion, but it ain't the norm. But whatever you hear, make sure it pairs up with the Word of God. Because His will never contradict His Word. The point is that one, that all for salvation, just because they see signs, people still miss. Remember the miracle where he fed the 5,000? How many people left? They liked the food in their belly. Listen, this father wanted healing for his son. And while Jesus pours out this rebuke upon the people in him, what does he do? He slides right past him. Right? I mean, think about that. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe, right? And what does he say? Okay, sir, (laughs) come down, my child, before he dies. I love this. This is where the Greek just makes the scriptures come alive. Notice the change here. You won't notice it in English, but it's more noticeable in the Greek. In verse 46 and 47, he calls his child a son. The Greek word huias. This means a male who is in a relationship, either biological or legal, by legal action. It's a son, an offspring, or a descendant. But when we come to verse 49... The man's, he's had enough. His his heart is absolutely in distress. And he says, sir, come down from my child before my child dies. The Greek word is padion. It means a very young child, an infant, used of a boy and girl. It's a newborn child. Jesus, please come heal my baby. He doesn't fully understand who Christ is. He is God. Jesus needs not go anywhere to heal this child, does he? He doesn't know that. He's got a spiritual curiosity about Christ. He's looking for his son to be healed. But Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. We saw that in Luke 7, didn't we? But here we see a compassionate Jesus revealing again the second miracle in Canaan. 
Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. So the son is healed from afar. Listen, salvation hasn't taken place yet in this man's life. But the son has been healed. Genuine faith is not an emotional experience. But it's a belief in Christ. And so today we must understand, firstly, a genuine faith isn't spiritual curiosity. It's not an emotional experience, but genuine faith, lastly, isn't a single decision. Now, before you crucify me, let me explain. Notice, if you will, with me in verse 50, Jesus said to them, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. Without any real proof, this man's son is healed. The text states that the man believes the words of Jesus. This one single event of belief does not determine this man's salvation. Yes, he believed, but it matters what he believed in and what he believed about Christ. The man has moved. This is a good thing. This is a process. The man has moved from the to the show me the, the signs and wonder stage to a more growing dependence upon Christ stage. His salvation will be a process. He believed in the words of Christ. That's a start. But genuine faith isn't about a single decision to believe about Christ, but rather about a growing dependence to believe in Christ. You remember the Samaritans? John 4.39 says, From that city many of the Samaritans believed. That's number one. But what did they believe and why did they believe? Well, it says that they believed in Him. They believed in Christ, but listen, so do the demons in the book of James. It doesn't make them saved, so why did they believe in Jesus? Well, the text tells us because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I had ever done. Listen, this was a belief about Christ, but not a belief that brought about a personal salvific experience. Because again, genuine faith isn't a single decision. It's a proper belief. It's rather a true saving faith and a continued faith. Jesus spent time there teaching, investing, explaining the scriptures. And if you'll notice the transition John says many more believe because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, listen, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know this one is indeed the savior of the world. Their faith became solidified. Their belief became pure because they heard for themselves And they had continued believing. Not the first time did they believe that they were saved, I don't believe. But here, a continued belief resulted in a pure belief in Christ, which I believe salvation took root. 
Listen, it only takes a while when you share your faith to come across somebody who says, a man walked away from his faith. He was a Christian. He believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross for his sins. And he was a faithful person in the church. But now they have walked away from the faith. Listen. I I, I love the words of of Paul Washer here. Proof of your salvation is not that one time you prayed a prayer, but proof of your faith is that you continue walking with him. That's a reality. You want to know the best test of your faith is time. Listen, if they've walked away from the faith, I'm here to tell you they never had salvation take root. They may have tasted. They may have cuddled up beside the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But salvation never penetrated the heart. It may have penetrated the head, but not the heart. Because I believe that once saved, always saved. Because if you're not saving yourself, then Christ is, then you can't control it. Listen, it's not a one-time event. The Father in our story is the same way. His first belief didn't bring about saving faith. But it was this continued belief that became real, that welled up to salvation. It's what led him to saving faith. And so he believes and he begins his journey home. And then verses 51 to 53, it says, As he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. He's amazed, isn't he? He's probably ecstatic, like you would be if your child that was about to die is now back healthy again. But he's curious still, isn't he? And so he begins to put together a timeline. And so he inquired of those that came the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at this hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. It's then. It's then the man believes in Christ. Not about Christ. He believes in Christ. Maybe all the debate going around town, Jesus isn't the Messiah because the prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. He's not honored. It's broken through into his reality. He knows that only Messiah, only God would be able to have the ability to heal his child from afar by mere words. And the fact that to the very hour of which Jesus spoke to his son was made well, it's then that he believes in Christ. And the text says he himself believed in not only him, but he in his whole household. Could you imagine the testimony of the father when he arrived home? I met the Christ, the Messiah. It's him. He's come. And his belief sparked life. 
Why? Because Christ became real. Listen, I got a feeling that many need to have an experience where Christ becomes real in your life. Many of us in the Christian culture know about Christ, but we don't really have faith in Christ. And many will miss it from here to here. Jesus loves you. And he wants to penetrate your heart. He wants to save your soul. Listen, the centerpiece of salvation is belief. But it's a belief in Jesus Christ. That he is the Messiah. That he did die on a cross and was buried and raised again on the third day and ascended up to the right hand of the Father where he now sits and he intercedes on our behalf. And one day the Bible says he's coming again. When he comes that day will be absolutely wonder and yet it will be absolutely terrifying. It just depends on which side of the line you're on. He's coming again. Listen, genuine faith is not spiritual curiosity. Genuine faith is not an emotional experience. And genuine faith is not a single decision unless it is a decision to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord. As Lord, as Messiah. The signs that Jesus does here in John are miracles with a message. And the message is this. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Messiah. The proof of divine power shows, shown to this man moves him from a sign-seeking unbelief to a genuine saving faith because of what he believed about Christ. What do you believe about Christ today? Because Jesus wants you to understand that the centerpiece of your salvation is your belief in Christ. Would you call out to him today as Lord? Would you plead with him to save you? Everyone in this room has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. The good news is, while yet we are sinners, Christ died for us. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want to thank you for joining us on our program today. We pray that you were challenged, encouraged, and hope that you will stay connected with us for the weeks to come as Pastor Stewart walks us through the book of John. If you don't have a church home, Pastor Stewart would like to personally invite you to join their worship service at Family Bible Fellowship in Early Branch, South Carolina. They meet each week at 11 a.m. For more information about the church, visit them at familybiblefellowship.org. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.